0: Thank you, Devin. Our second lesson today is from the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. Uh, This first verse makes reference to entering into rest. And so in the first uh, verses of chapter 4, uh, we read about not only the Sabbath rest that uh, God carved out for his people, his people Israel, but also the rest that is ours as we enter into that peace that comes only from knowing uh, Jesus Christ, crucified and raised. So our uh, reading begins this way. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him, no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Amen. So as I've shared with the congregation... um, Since January, I'm preaching about once a month now as the Senior Pastor Succession Plan unfolds. And I'm going back to some really foundational, basic teachings of the church and the Word of God. Not that, at least I hope and pray, I ever um, moved away from the Word of God in a sermon uh, that I was preaching on things that were really peripheral. But in these final uh, sermons. I think I've got five left after today. I want to focus on um, really important things that I think all of us should know and remember. And if you are uh, a new Christian or someone who is just starting to find out about Christ, uh, I hope that these sermons are especially helpful to you. And later in this morning's message, I'm going to mention a gentleman last night who came up and talked with me uh, after the sermon so as I'm going back to basics, um, today's topic is um, law and and gospel. The Word of God comes to us as both law and gospel. And it is essential, it is uh, important, that we recognize and understand the difference between law and gospel because they are not the same. And if we confuse those two, We can get into um, all kinds of distress and worry. Uh, We can even be discouraged if we're reading Scripture and don't recognize and discern the difference between a word of law and a word of of gospel, a word of grace. So in our reading from Hebrews, uh, you you heard the imagery, right? You know, the the word of God is a sword with, with two sharp edges. So a sword like that can... Cut both ways, right? And uh, the word of God has two edges in the imagery of Hebrews. And we might say that that word has uh, two, two functions, uh, two purposes. First of all, the word comes to us as law. And that word of law um, can judge us. It's so sharp that it can cut us to the core. That edge of the word, (laughs) the law, exposes us for who we really are. Because nothing about you and nothing about me is hidden from the sight of God. His word penetrates to the core of our being and reveals essentially who we are more powerfully than any x-ray or ultrasound or MRI. We in this life may pretend to be someone or something other than who we really are. And this side of heaven, we may succeed in hiding the truth about ourselves from other people, but you can't get away with that before the Lord Almighty. His word reveals who we truly are. The word, as we heard in Hebrews, reveals the naked truth about us. No one No creature can escape God's total knowledge and insight into who we are, our past, our secrets, our our innermost thoughts and desires. They're all known by God. Martin Luther, long ago in 1537, um, came to the realization of the difference between law and gospel. And before he came to that realization, even his own soul was troubled um, as he was aware of his sin and his unworthiness before a righteous God. And as Luther pondered the word um, so diligently, so faithfully, he said, you know, this edge of the sword, um, even that law has two purposes. First of all, God's law, God's uh, ordering of things, uh, provides um, order to society that would otherwise be lost in a sea of of sin and confusion. And that same word of the Lord um, has a second use. And Luther said, this is the most important function. Um, It makes our sin manifest. That's how Luther said it. And shows us to what utter depth we've all fallen from our original glory. Uh, As we think about our first parents, Adam and Eve, before their fall. So when you think about God's law, and what Luther had to say, um, I think one of the finest examples, one of the clearest examples, would be the Ten Commandments. And all of you who are confirmed Lutherans, I know you have these memorized. Right? I've been talking about that for about 23 years. That we should all have the Ten Commandments memorized, right? So I'm not showing off. Uh, I want you to say them with me. All right? To the glory of God. So... I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, honor your father and your mother, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, louder with me on the last two, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, manservant, maidservant, cattle, or anything else that is your neighbor's. You can still work on that if you haven't got those commandments memorized yet, while there's still time. These commandments given by God to Israel through Moses have that first and second use that Martin Luther described. Imagine a world, imagine a world in which people lied about each other freely, where people uh, slaughtered and killed one another without consequence. Where people uh, just robbed others in broad daylight w- without punishment, where people um, despised and disrespected their parents. Uh, these commandments have a first use, and that is to provide order, good order, order that, that God wants us to enjoy, order that is pleasing to the Lord of all creation, an order that becomes a blessing to us. But there's also that second use of the very same commandments. Uh, They can convict us of our sin, our disobedience. I don't know about you, but when I um, think on the Ten Commandments, it makes me realize that no matter how hard I might try to obey God's word in every way, sometimes I fall short. I think I'm in good company this morning. We miss the mark. Uh, Like the Apostle Paul, you know, the good that I would is not what I do. The evil that I would not do is what I find myself doing, O wretched man that I am. So we cannot make ourselves holy by perfect obedience to God's law because we all have the sin problem by what we've done and by the sins of omission, the things we should have done, the things we should have said, and we did not stand in the gap. Or speak that word of mercy and compassion. So, the second use of the law is what drives us to acknowledge before the Father that we have sinned. And then we seek His mercy, His gospel, His love because we want to be restored we don't want to be stuck in sin Uh, Dr. Phil Williams put it this way the law of the Lord is the light that reveals how dirty the room has become the law of the Lord is not the broom that sweeps it clean and were it not for that other part of God's word, the gospel uh, we would have Uh, No place to turn (laughs) when the law has its way with us and convicts us of our shortcomings. We'd be lost. So we can rejoice that that sword that cuts both ways has that edge which is pure love and grace. It is gospel. It is mercy. God knows everything about us. He knows everything about you, and yet He loves us. God rightfully judges you and me as sinners And then sinners like you and a sinner like me are invited to come before the throne of grace. Did you hear it? Not cowering in fear, but we can dare to approach the throne of the Almighty God in boldness because we know the good news, the gospel. Christ is for us. Christ is among us. Christ is not against us. Now, I've lost track of how many weddings I've done through... 37 years of ministry, but I know that in recent years as I have met with couples for premarital counseling and planning the wedding day, that I suggest uh, to them to think and pray about what they'd like to have for a scripture reading. And many of those younger couples um, say, well, Pastor, we, we're we not sure. Um, maybe you could give us a suggestion. And whenever that happens, I always suggest Matthew 7 as a man and woman are about to begin life's journey building their spiritual house together. And it goes like this. This is Jesus talking. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house. It sounds like a monsoon season, doesn't it? but that house did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching because he taught them as one having authority, not as their scribes. So here's that duality of the word that comes with, with both, both edges, the law and the gospel. Uh, do your best to do the word, not just to listen to it and let it go in one ear and out the other, but do your best to apply it in your life and uh, Jesus will remain your rock even in, in, in stormy weather, even in the storms of life when things seem chaotic. Uh, Jesus promises that your life, your future will not come crashing down. But if you ignore the word, I think there's a, a word for that. I'm, I'm autonomous, autonomos. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I have autonomous. I have a law unto myself. I'll decide what's right and wrong for me. Thank you very much, God. Thank you very much, Jesus. Well, you ignore the word of God, and things can become quite messy. Relationships. Communities. So, Jesus wants us to build well. What kind of spiritual house are you building? What's the foundation of your life in, in these tumultuous times? Jesus wants you to build on Him, the solid rock, the eternal foundation. Now, back to that gentleman that spoke to me last night after the service. So, I've been a pastor quite a while, and on most uh, Saturday nights and Sundays, as I look about the congregation. And Duane, you always warm my heart when you're taking notes. I mean, you're listening. Thank you, brother. I hope there's something noteworthy. But but when I look about the congregation, you know, most people are making eye contact. Every now and again, I catch someone like this, and then the wife gives him a punch. Um, I also notice sometimes that the eyes of the people in the back are looking at the mountains, and I hope that you're, Multitasking, looking at the mountains while you listen to the pastor. Every now and again, I see someone who goes like this. I still don't know what that means. I'll finish when I finish, okay? But most of the time when I look out, people are, you know, friendly and smiling. But last night at the five o'clock service, there was this one brother. He started worshiping with us just before COVID. And, you know, during the sermon, he's like, yeah. Exactly. And he came up to me after the sermon and he said, Why didn't you preach that, that sermon uh, like a year ago? It would have, would have helped me a lot. And I said, Well, I'm sorry. I didn't know I was supposed to have preached that a year ago, but I preached it now because he said what so many people have said to me through the years, especially new believers. You know, Pastor, I'm, I'm trying to read the Bible, but sometimes when I'm reading through the scriptures, whoa, I feel guilty. I'm reading the Word of God, and it points out, you know, a particular sin in my life. I'm reading the Bible, and, you know, it's supposed to be a good thing, but I don't feel good. Good! (laughs) Then that edge of the Word is having its way with you. It's convicting you of your sin, as it convicts me of my own. But that same gentleman last night resonated with what other people have said. Pastor, sometimes when I read the Bible, oh, I just feel so unworthy. That that Jesus would die such a horrible death in my place. That that Christ would take my sin on on his flesh and, and be crucified alone and forsaken. I feel so unworthy. Good. You are unworthy. I am so unworthy. The gospel of Christ is good news for sinners like you and me. It is good news for people who are lost to be found in the marvelous love of God in Christ. We're not worthy of anything that Jesus did for us. And that's why we call it gift. That's why we call it grace. So, living in the power of grace and receiving the gift of mercy, we can dare to begin thinking about, praying on, and putting into practice those things that God desires for us and that we learn in His Word. The law, instead of simply convicting us of our sin, by God's grace, can become the very thing we start to desire. Not because we're trying to make ourselves holy, but because we've been made new, we've been set free in Christ, and now we have liberty. We have the Spirit's power to to set our minds on the things that are God-pleasing. So let's go back to one of the commandments you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Well, that word of the Lord can cut both ways. When we realize that we have lied about a neighbor, a family member, a co-worker, a classmate, when we have not um, protected his or her reputation, when we've um, received gladly the juicy gossip and, and, and passed it along with a little more spice, Yeah, the law calls us out, guilty, guilty, guilty. But as we live in the power of the gospel, and we learn this from Martin Luther, it means for us that we not only refrain from bearing false witness against the neighbor, but we defend our neighbor, we speak well of our neighbor, we assume the best about our neighbor when we hear that gossip, which could be lies. We defend our neighbor because we know how Jesus defended us and fought for us on the cross. And so we refuse to bear false witness against others because we know um, it breaks down community. It does not please the Father in heaven. I want to close with a quote from a theologian, far wiser, finer theologian than I'll ever hope to be. Um, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, writes, and I want you to listen to his words. So the Christian is in a different position from other people who are simply trying to be good. They hope by being good to please God if there is a God. And if they think there is not, at least they hope to deserve approval from other people. But the Christian thinks any good he does comes from Christ inside him. He does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us, just as the roof of a greenhouse does not attract the sun because it is bright, but becomes bright because the sun shines on it. To have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do what he teaches. There'd be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you wouldn't take his advice So if you've really handed yourself over to God, it follows that you're trying to obey Him. But trying in a new way, a less worried way, not doing all these things in order to be saved, but because He has begun saving you already. Not hoping to get to heaven as some reward for your actions, but wanting to live in a new way. Because a first faint Gleam of heaven is already inside you. So would you pray with me? Merciful Father, mighty, Holy Spirit, compassionate Lord Jesus, we praise you today for the love with which you love us, in which you've grounded us and by which you are transforming us. Heavenly Father, we don't want to exist with just a concept or some idea of your love let it be real very real let your lavish love for us become the the greatest power in our lives for it is the greatest power this side of the new heaven and new earth let us hear your holy gospel that we might be filled with joy and peace even in the midst of our sorrow and the discord that we all know Let us hear your word that we might grieve the things we do and say that grieve your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, you are so good, so kind, so compassionate. May the power of the sacrifice you made for us on the cross permeate all of our relationships. You're not calling us to change or fix anyone. You're calling us to simply live as your precious people through whom the aroma of your grace will bring your gentle, transforming presence. Holy Spirit, you who raised Jesus from the dead, give us the power we need this day, right now, to be rid of all bitterness, anger, rage, slander, and malice. Forgive us for the ways we've loved so poorly. May we die each day to sin, And then live in the power of the resurrection. Knowing, knowing that you love us more than we deserve. Even more than we can imagine. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.